Hello everyone, my name is Michael Matthew of Michael Matthew Foundational Health. I practice as a health coach, particularly focusing on animal-based nutrition for healing with an emphasis on oxalate toxicity and other chronic health issues. I also practice as a osteopathic body worker with almost 30 years of experience. And because of a spinal cord injury, my work is particularly focused on long distance healing. In today's video, I am super excited to be interviewing Sally K. Norton, who has become one of the world's experts in the topic of oxalate toxicity. This topic has huge ramifications for so many people, and it's personal in my case. I suffered for years of chronic health issues, only discovered three years ago that the primary issue in my health is oxalate toxicity. In future video interviews with Sally, we will be getting into specific aspects of what are oxalates, how we can heal from oxalate toxicity, safe way of changing your diet, and many more topics and my idea was instead of one big long interview with Sally, let's break them up into smaller pieces so it's much more easily accessible for people. So with that all said, here is an introduction to oxalates with Sally K. Norton. Hey guys, one last thing before we start the video. I am so excited to be really engaging and diving into creating a YouTube channel that's filled with awesome health and wellness content. And I'm so excited to say after years and decades of chronic illness, I am healing at a deep level. And I wanna be able to share that information with as many people as possible. So if you'd consider clicking like and subscribe and the notification bell, that would be much, much appreciated. Thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy the video. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Michael Matthew Foundational Health. I'm your host, Michael Matthew. And today I am just absolutely tickled and thrilled to introduce my health coach, my health coach mentor, and my dear friend, Sally K. Norton. Welcome, Sally. Hi, Michael. It's fun to be with you. It's really good to have you here, Sally. And I, as a way of getting started, something I want to say is I've been wanting to interview you um, since I first met you three years ago. And wow, has it been three years? <laughs> it has, almost, in November. <laughs> and uh, because of one, you know, this bumpy road of healing from oxalate toxicity, every time I thought I was in a place to put things together, it fell apart. So... It feels like a little bit of a celebration for me, if you will, that I'm actually getting, I put it together and I'm doing better and making some real improvements. And so from that place, I also just want to express, um, Mr. Emotional here, my deep felt, um, heartfelt thank yous because you came into my life and filled in these big gaps in my own horrible health journey, that just didn't make sense. I didn't understand 
why did my health fall apart then? The best I could come up with is I just got a lemon of a body. And now I'm actually seeing some real clear signs of, of deep healing. And with a guy with quadriplegia from a spinal cord injury, you know, last summer and then again more recently, um, there are places on my hands where they didn't have sensation. And I'm not going to say it's normal sensation, but it's, there is sensation and it's improving. And some of it's pleasant instead of just annoying. So for me, this is a great way of introducing this topic of, you know, here we are and uh, oxalates is a real thing. And the fact that a guy with, with almost a complete spinal cord sever is actually showing signs of progress where Craig Hospital says 18, 24 months, whatever you got, that's what you get. And here I am nine years later, improving my nervous system. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's, it's a celebration beyond anybody could imagine. Like we're in a space now of experiencing healing that no one knows is possible. And I'm so glad you want to share your story. I have other friends. I know three other people who are friends of mine who are paralyzed from really tragic accidents. And they have been so committed to gaining back more function and stay committed. I mean, their ability to never give up is phenomenal. I just, I am so inspired and touched by that alone, that ability to persevere. I think it must be fundamental to the human spirit that we're all fighters and we all know yep. fundamentally that we're entitled to vibrancy, well-being, independence, and joy in life. And so it's really, it's, it's such an honor to be able to do this work and to meet superstars like you. Thank you. Yeah. Here we go. So the idea I had that Sally has agreed to join me in, at least for a while, is instead of having these long interviews with Sally, uh, which are wonderful, um, maybe we break them up into smaller pieces with the idea of making them more accessible. Because I know for myself, both personally and as a health coach, that I may run into something with a client and I, I remember, oh, I know Sally talked about it, but God, which interview is it? And how far into the interview did she talk about it? So my thought was, let's break these up into smaller pieces and make that information accessible. And maybe we can dive into certain aspects deeper, um, all depending on uh, how, how much Sally wants to dive into this with me. We're going to have a good time. I think we can create some real pearls that are going to help somebody. Yeah. So um, for people who are new to Sally, I was hoping, uh, Sally, you could give a, uh, we're going to try to keep this interview today, which is just um, billed as an introduction. Um, keep it really simple and uh, keep it brief. And then we'll get into things more later. But um, in a deeper level. But uh, so for right now, Sally, I was hoping you could just give a brief introduction on your academic history, your work history, and then a little bit about your personal health story 
that is all wrapped around oxalates. Yeah, so I was always an eager kid to go to school and like to learn what they taught me in school. <laughs> was already trucking back home with health advice in kindergarten. And in seventh grade, a science teacher showed a film strip that showed a bunch of cabbage and stuff and said, this prevents cancer and another picture that showed hot dogs and stuff and said, this causes cancer. And I thought, my God, if, if you know how to eat, you can affect your productivity, whether or not you get a major disease, your whole, you know, what you get to have in life might just depend on how you eat. And I would love to learn nutrition to be able to support people who want to have the best healthy life they can have. So I've been interested in nutrition probably forever. And maybe that's because I had some strep throat and problems like that as a little girl. And they took my tonsils out when I was five. That was not fun. I got barred from the swimming pool many times as a little child because I had such swimmer's ear all the time. And so I probably learned way before I even went to school that being sick is horrible. So I've been at this health and nutrition thing a long time. I went to Cornell University because they were considered the best nutrition school on the East Coast and they were accessible in the state, affordable. And then I went on and got my master's in public health and focused on successful aging and holistic healing. And I worked at the School of Medicine at UNC Chapel Hill there in North Carolina, helping to run a big NIH grant as the project director for teaching holistic healing principles in conventional healthcare. So we were teaching or trying to affect the curriculum for medical students in the curriculum and the nursing program and pharmacy and public health and dentistry and worked with continuing education for doctors, uh, trying to raise awareness among conventional providers about all these other techniques and priorities that their patients have and the questions they have about when acupuncture is useful and when nutrition is needed and when they can take a certain herb or whatever. So I've been in this kind of health and healing space from an academic point of view and also it was involved in grant and research design and grant proposal writing and worked as a uh, research administrator for a long time. And that job, I ended up putting that under health problems. I was falling apart. I had been struggling throughout. I, I My whole adulthood, I've been struggling with health problems. In fact, they started when I was 12. And there's a long list of problems, but it ended up at the point where I quit my professional work because I wasn't really able to function anymore. I was in terrible pain and kneeling on my knees, working at the computer for 10 hours a day. And I got to the point where I needed a hysterectomy and didn't recover well from that and was pretty much completely disabled. It took three years to figure out why I couldn't sleep. My brain was waking up 29 times an hour and I couldn't exercise, couldn't read. And it turned out, I eventually figured out that it was my healthy diet. I've been growing organic produce and eating organic foods and having a vegetable heavy diet my whole life, basically, especially in the last 20 years with doing more, more vegetable gardening and so on. But anyway, I fell apart with my health. And I was shocked at my response when I finally figured out how to do a low oxalate diet because I thought I was doing it for arthritis. 
and suddenly I could read and sleep and function again in ways I completely unexpected. So. And now I was, I was like, okay, wow. Uh, I may be the only one with this, but there's got to be somebody else out there who's like eating too many sweet potatoes and Swiss chard. And they probably have no idea if they have these problems I have like arthritis and whatever, that it could be from your health foods. Like, whoa, who would have thought that? And who's going to help them? Because, I, you know, those of us who are sick, we go to many doctors who tell us your tests are fine. You need to go see psych services. And then you're like, okay, well, I'll go to the chiropractors. They won't send me to the psych. And they'll, you know, help. And then that doesn't work. And then you go to the acupuncturist and that does, then you go to homeopath and then you, you do this and you, you sort of run out of things and you get sick of being, wasting your time and money. Um, and by then there's no money left anyways. <laughs> like I knew that people weren't going to find help from this problem because I've been there. So I decided I would start teaching for free and researching it and realized uh, as I was teaching people that we needed a book. And so I decided that, you know, that would be the best way to make all this research valuable to the rest of the world as I could try to figure out the story well enough to explain it in a book for everybody. So, and, there it is, and there it is behind you. Toxic Superfoods. And it's coming out on December 27th of 2022. And pre-orders are very important to help bring this topic forward, to get people's attention, to, to help the publisher sell the book to other uh, language so we can get it done in other languages. So the more interest we can get in the book early on as it comes out, the more chance we have to help more people. And that, that's always been the goal is to just leave behind some kind of um, little sign for someone else to help a few other people. And that's been happening. Your story is should be enough between your story and my story that should be enough yeah really but it's not so we have thousands of other people's stories too sorry about that yeah yeah you were um i was thinking about this earlier today that um it's it's uh i consider you an oxalate buddy and uh, also maybe an oxalate sister and there's become a group of us on Instagram that are being really supportive of each other. And, uh, and you're right in there in the mix of it. And uh, I just, it's, it's actually something that I've been aware of the last couple of months. I'm a pretty emotional, empathetic guy, but the way things are landing the past couple months for me, it's like, I just keep getting these like wonderful pings in my heart, if you will. And, uh, and I can see, you know, that's part of the healing that's happening lately for me. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's just joyous to be able to connect with other people when we're in this journey that seems so bizarre because it goes against everything that we learned growing up. And now we're healing finally for so many of us. And, uh, you know, my, and my journey is we have some similarities, um, uh, you know, one, um, you know, it was for me, it was when, I mean, looking back, there was stuff wrong from the beginning. I was underweight and I, um, 
you know, didn't have normal bone. Um, if some people may know, there's a something called Osgood Schlatter's, which is a hypergrowth of the of the upper part of the tibial bone, where at the knee, you know, right below the kneecap. And uh, you know, I had that as a kid, and now I get why. It's because things were messed up, oxalates screwed up my minerals, and I didn't get full bone growth like I should have. Probably wasn't getting enough protein either. But anyway, and then and then when I started working full time as an engineer at Eastman Kodak in Rochester, New York, which wasn't that far from where you were. And uh, anyway, um, I joined a food co-op, which I don't even know if people know what those are now, but that was the place where you got your organic produce back in the eighties and nineties. And, uh, and I decided becoming, um, you know, going towards vegetarian was going to be this wonderful thing and it would heal me. And that five years that I worked for Kodak, my health just went into the cellar. And I just couldn't understand why, because I was making all these great, well-thought-out decisions to improve my health. And now I know the foods that I was focusing on, they're all the highest foods. I went nuts on nut butter and whole grain bread and whole grains and spinach and Swiss chard. And, you know, I just, I just destroyed my health with that. But at the time, I had no information to know that I was doing that. Yeah. And you didn't have a degree in nutrition. So yeah. I, you know, I was like, wait a minute, I shouldn't I, wait. Uh, this is my profession. <laughs> Why am I so ignorant? This is very disturbing, right? It's very disturbing. Very disturbing. And, you know, of course we, you and I are similar age and we grew up in an era of like cornflakes for breakfast, kind of bad foods, you know, and she's, hot dogs she's, for lunch. she's two months, she's two months older than me. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, uh, well, that, I, mean, corn, corn, corn I remember places. like coupons were suddenly this huge deal when I was in elementary school and, and preschool where what my mom bought kind of depended on the coupons. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why we got to taste life cereal and the latest thing that came along, not because my mother thought they were great nutrition. She figured as long as she could afford it, that was good enough. And that's pretty benign compared to like peanut butter, Captain Crunch and Cocoa Puffs. And yeah, Cal- my mother really wouldn't buy that stuff unless oh. unless she was trying to keep us quiet on a road trip to Florida. Then we could each pick out a box of nasty cereal to snack on in the car to keep us just shut up. But I don't think those cereals help the car be peaceful at all. <laughs> Wound you up and yeah. So, yeah, I mean... The, the combination of the processed garbage food and then layering over the top of it with spinach and almonds and dark chocolate and all this is just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So in, 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 uh, with keeping to the, the topic today of just a brief introduction, um, I'm was hoping you could, um, first speak to, just really briefly on, you know, the, the people who might be, they might be really new to this topic and having a lot of um, disbelief or doesn't make sense, or how could these plants be bad for us? I'm just wondering if you can speak briefly to that, Sally, on, on what, what, are, what are with your experience and, you know, especially with all the clients you've worked with, um, any 
any thoughts on uh, that may help those people? Well, there's lots of assumptions in that. And that is believing that what we've always been doing or think we've always been doing. I mean, first of all, believing that what we're doing now is something we've done for a long time, which it is not. Right. So it depends on your timeline as well. But so there's lots of different places to talk about this. There's that. So we could stress that or we could look at the idea itself that plants are all so safe to consume. because if you give yourself a little mind exercise and you were to take yourself and an imaginary three-year-old or a couple of those youngsters with you out to your front yard, which plants would you let the kids eat? Probably not any of them. So if you went hiking with the family in the woods, which plants would you eat in the woods? You wouldn't. Why not? Because they're not safe. They're dangerous. There are poison berries on your yew bushes. There's digitalis. There's all kinds of problems. There's poison mushrooms in the woods. Pine needles don't taste good. Pine cones don't taste good. If you can figure out to find the right pine cone, it might have a pine nut in there somewhere. It's going to take you all day to get six pine nuts out of that cone. It's not going to be a big smancy brunch that you're going to find in the woods. It isn't there. It isn't in plant foods. We've had to develop plant foods through breeding. We've created corn on the cob. That didn't exist. Humans invented that. We had to create certain varieties of wheat to make them mass producible and expensively. We have done breeding to create thousands of, of types of potatoes. We had to invent a railroad system and find the areas in the world that could grow produce year round and, and build a whole economy around railroads and refrigeration and 24-hour grocery stores in order to supply fresh fruits and berries and greens, which are very perishable foods, and supply them to you year-round as if you're allowed to eat them year-round. In the past, when you had raspberries, it was because you were walking along a country lane and the wild cane fruit was there and you noticed them when they were ripe, which happens for two and a half weeks in August. It doesn't happen the rest of the year. So there is no way that you can say, well, we've always eaten these foods because we haven't. And we certainly haven't had them in the day-to-day quantities that we eat them now. Peanut butter is a great example of that. Peanuts used to be grown for pig food. And we got desperate during the civil war and turned peanuts into human food so the Southern soldiers wouldn't die. And there was a whole promotion going on behind the scenes. And then there was characters like Kellogg who had his sanitarium and he had fancy people come and taught them to eat uh, sexually conservative foods that would not arouse the desires. So they were on this sort of vegan diets that had nut meals instead of meats, you know, and he invented the first nut meats and fake, fake foods and invented cornflakes and all these fake processed foods. And that was really the dawn of commercial junk food was an attempt to get away from the true human diet, which is really centered around a lot of animal products like eggs and cheese and dairy and hunted meats and fish. That has been fundamental to human survival for all of time. Adding on the vegetables is a way of adding variety, texture, interest, and and doing culinary creativity and keeping your meals interesting, but it hasn't been the foundation for good human nutrition. It's just become lore in the last 200 years that these things are really critical. And it's really been 
pushed up a notch with a lot of kind of moralism going around. It was moralism that had Kellogg's want you to eat corn instead of eggs for breakfast so that she wouldn't go to hell. And we're still doing this kind of moralistic idea and placing plants on your plate as a way to make you a more pleasant, non-violent person. But it's there's nothing non-violent about the way we deliver foods like wheat and soy and other big commodity agricultural products that are maybe vegan or vegetarian or plant-based, but not necessarily true to the spirit of wanting a non-violent life. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not That's a- That's a tough that... one though. People don't want to hear that. They're very committed to the idea that a bagel is more moral than a, an omelet, but it's not true. So how are we going to step outside the confines of what we want to be so and be open-hearted, open-spirited enough to literally listen to what is so? And some people have to wait to be really sick to hear it. Yeah. The bodies have to force them to change their minds. That's okay. I'm not doing this to change anybody's mind, but to invite people, if you really want to feel well, listen to our horrible stories and don't be like us. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make the same mistakes we made. Yeah, it feels like if we, if my, if our generation has already made this mistake, because there's a huge wave of environmentalism in the early 70s and a huge wave of vegetarianism back in our youth. When we were coming out of high school, this was a big thing. And it is all over again. We've already made that mistake. Yeah. And we'd love for a young person to respect us enough to not want to be us. <laughs> yeah. But somehow they're willing to be us because they don't want to believe the old people. Like it's so ironic that by ignoring our message, young people might be being exactly like we were thinking we're rejecting the old ways. No, we're just repeating the same mistake over and over again. I have uh, quite a few caregivers. Um, that work for me that are CU Boulder students in a pre-med undergraduate program. And it's been fascinating to have so much access to people of that age. And it's all across the board where their diets are, but they, they get to hear me listening to your videos and other videos on, on you know, nutrition and health topics. And uh, it's, it's actually quite scary to see, you know, 20 year olds that already are having some serious health problems. And what's been interesting to me to just further reinforce everything we're talking about around oxalates is so many of them are eating high oxalate foods and suffering because of it. And I've had a few that have used me as kind of a consultant and made changes. And a couple of them had some, you know, they had gut pain. Two, two of my caregivers had pretty nasty gut pain and they got off the spinach and a couple other things. And within a couple of weeks, it was gone. So it's, you know, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it feels like a really worthy cause to try to catch these people before, before they're, you know, they have to be 55 and realize that they messed up 30 years ago. And can you imagine being sick and trying to become a parent? I mean, there's nothing more demanding than trying to raise young children. And if you're going into that phase of your life, already hobbled with stomach pain and other problems, uh, it's going to be hard to be a good parent. It may even be hard to get pregnant to begin with. So yeah, people don't want to believe that spinach and raspberries and beets are trouble. 
but why would you hold on to that belief over being really curious? Like if you could just invite yourself to be curious, like why would getting off these foods save you, me, and your caregivers? That 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 is interesting news, people. <laughs> it's really interesting news. And it's it's really up to people to step up to the plate, but there's a whole conformity in the human psyche of sticking to what we know as a form of security. It feels a little uncertain to go into the space of something that feels like the opposite. And we're so polarized in our thinking, like I'm going to hold on to my belief and you can have your belief and you're the wrong one. And I'm going to be in my club, but it's really much more interesting space to start listening to the other side and hearing their conversations and what matters to them. Because ultimately in any kind of debate, both parties have something to offer the conversation, you know, and if you just want to stick to listening to what you already know and believe, you're not learning, you're not growing, you're not really becoming anything except a stick in the mud. So, but that said, you can't listen to 10,000 messengers telling you 10,000 different things to do. And if you can learn the basics about how toxins in plants, especially oxalate is this toxin that plants have to make to survive, it helps them defend themselves from fungal diseases and insects and all kinds of invasions. It helps them survive dry periods. It helps them preserve their seeds. It allows the seeds to germinate properly. It's doing these things for the plants. The plants didn't design their seeds to be your lunch. That's not the point of the seed from the plant's point of view. It's never going to be the plant's priority to be non-toxic for you. We've tried to breed plants to be less toxic. They've been trying with spinach for 50 years to get it to be lower in oxalate. Doesn't work. Spinach can't grow and thrive and become a pretty leafy green without its oxalate. And, and that speaks directly to, I think, especially with our generation and everything we got brought up learning, but even until recently, you know, this idea that it, like the plants were put there for us to feed us and nourish us and make us healthy. And it, it disregards the fact that they've been here for millions and millions of years and they're chemical factories. And they're doing, just like you said, everything that they make, they're doing to, um, to ensure their survival. And sometimes that means making chemicals that are actually dangerous to critters, whether they be insects or animals that want to want to eat them. Absolutely. And that's, I don't know how we bought this line that plants are so innocent and sweet. The ones who are non-toxic have gone extinct. They've been eaten into oblivion. Yeah. Like you can't survive. It's a dog eat world. It's a plant eat dog, dog eat plant, plant dogs eat each other kind of world. It's not really nature isn't all cute and warm and fuzzy. There's nature's fighting for itself. It's all part of life moving forward and life forms have to consume each other to keep that life energy moving forward. Um, but plants just don't want to be so overconsumed that they're gone. They, we need them here for the oxygen. They're doing so much for us, providing shade and air quality and beauty and, you know, spiritual comfort. It's so many levels. Why do we also need to eat them? We maybe don't. I mean, it's, we're really, there's enough evidence to suggest that humans would do just as well, if not better 
on a diet that had little to no plant foods in it, which is considered an illegal thought to have. I mean, the thought police want to just cut my head off right there. Not allowed to say less vegetables is better, but it is better. Well, one, and when I first, I went carnivore before I found you. And then, and then, and I think actually a video came up about oxalates and it might've been yours several months before I went carnivore. And I was like, no, I can't handle, can't handle any more restrictions or whatever on my diet. So I'm not going there. And then I went carnivore and then one of your videos came up and I was like, well, I'm not eating any plants now. So, all right, I'll see what this is about. And then, you know, I put everything together for me, but that said, I needed a little more validation for what I was doing. So I ended up reading a series of books by an Arctic explorer from the early 1900s named Wilhelmer Stevenson. And one of the things he shared, and he was a professor at Dartmouth, so a really smart guy. He spent about 12 years with the Inuit up in Canada. And one of the things he shared in his book was, if you look at the skulls of the Inuit versus the Plains Indians, versus the Western Coast Indians, versus the Eastern Coast Indians in North America, the skulls that were the healthiest, the thickest, had the least sign of caries were the Inuit. And they ate almost no plant matter at all. So just that little, little tidbit of information, it, it puts a lot of weight towards this idea of do we need plants? We certainly don't need high oxalate plants. There's no argument about that. Before the days of you know supplements and all the props we have now, there were native Indians long, 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 long ago in like Texas and Arizona where there was not many plants that survived the, the desert conditions other than agave. So they were trying to live on agave, which is really high in oxalate, has a lot of these crystals that the plants make. And between the crystals wearing down their dentition and the oxalic acid ruining their bone health, they would all lose their all their, all their teeth by the time they were in their mid to late 20s. All those old skeletons are just total mouth destruction from the high oxalate diet they were on. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, that's the other thing. This is a new subject for everyone. Oxalate in modern times, most people haven't heard the word brand new. So that in itself, oh, I haven't heard of it. It can't be real. <laughs> Already, just because you haven't heard the word, you know, it's not important. Already, that's a problem in our thinking. Because in fact, oxalate is this oxalic acid chemical has been right front and center in chemistry since the 16 and 1700s. And right, right front and center in industrial applications and used as a cleaning agent from the late 1700s. So we've been using oxalic acid. We use it in uh, research studies. We use it in blood collection tubules. It's used all over the place. You buy Bio Cooper's Friend powder cleaner and you've got oxalic acid there because it's very good chelator minerals and it, it cleans stuff up. So we, it's like, we've never heard of it, but you've actually used it. If you've ever bought Bio Cooper's Friend or had somebody print a photo for you or bought fabric because it's used in those products. You just, just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it isn't happening. doesn't mean it isn't real. So that's another thing. Well, and what I, one way I try to explain this is like, it's not only hard to listen initially and like, oh God, one more thing I can't eat. I'm over, I'm done. I want to hear that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that. Well, not only that is unattractive, 
But then when you do try to, then you're heart open, mind open, you're ready to learn, you're learning and you're trying to learn it and understand it. And it's hard to make sense out of it because it doesn't fit in a brain that's thinking completely the opposite. And so you try to, I, I liken this to buying a new coat and having it on the hanger and you're trying to hang it in your wardrobe. So your brain is like this wardrobe with all the stuff that you've acquired, all the knowledge you acquired. So you're trying to acquire this new piece of knowledge and hang it in your brain. And you're reaching in there and trying to set the oxalate thing in your brain. And there's no bar. Like you said, you, you keep trying to hook it on the bar and there's no bar in your brain. There's no bar that says plant toxins can hurt you and cause X, Y, Z. There isn't one in there. So it doesn't stay. It drops to the floor and you keep losing it. And you keep losing your oxalate knowledge because you don't even have a place to hang it in your brain. So you have to keep re-dipping and listening. And that's why so many people listen to hundreds of interviews with me and listen to them over and over again and come back to class because it's literally hard to learn something where there's no place to park it in your brain. There's no cultural support. I mean, part of what creates the ability to hold on to knowing something is that everybody around you agrees that that red sign means you should stop your car. We've all decided that we all do that. We all reinforce that behavior. There's no sign on the spinach bag that says, stop eating this. If you have kidney problems, osteoporosis or vision problems, if you've got arthritis, don't eat the spinach, don't buy it. It should say that, but it doesn't anywhere. So you don't get any kind of cultural support for it. And your immediate family loves these high oxalate foods. You're going to have tons of sweet potatoes because it's fall and you're going to have it because it's Thanksgiving or because it's Christmas or whatever. And so, yeah, we got to stick with that tradition of eating the high oxalate foods because that's what we do socially. So we're more devoted to the social learning than we are to the factual learning. That's just the nature of humans have to stick with the tribe because by yourself out there in nature, one person alone dies pretty fast. You cannot survive in the wilderness alone for very long. It requires a tribe, a family, a community to keep you fed and safe. And so we naturally default to the social learning rather than to the learning, learning from science. If you're, you feel like a one of a kind, I thought I was like a rare thing. I thought it was me and a couple other people. I would just start squawking to help a few people. But now I believe that all modern humans are affected by oxalates that we eat to some degree or another. That's, that's become that. increasingly clear to me too. It's, I, I thought it was, there's a small percentage of us who just, whatever, our histories, we couldn't handle it. And now it's like, oh boy, it's, it feels way bigger, way bigger. It's very big, but. And it can be hiding behind so many diagnoses and yeah, but that's a whole nother talk. We should talk about that at some point, how, you know, it's, it's more precious to have a diagnosis that's socially affirmed. Oh no, I have this more important problem over here. The oxalates can wait versus thinking differently about a root cause that's promoting all forms of cellular dysfunction and can promote strokes, heart disease, cancer, kidney failure, you name it, osteoporosis, severe injuries that might cause a spinal cord to sever. This can all be from the system falling apart because of the way oxalate is degrading your structure. Muscle pain, joint pain, frequent urination, messed up, totally messed up gut. That was my big one, which turns into food sensitivities, allergies and autoimmune disease. It just goes on and on. 
goes on and on. And that gut thing has always been part of the diagnosis. The diagnosis of uh, sickness from eating foods high in oxalates started in 1842. And initially they expected everyone with this condition would always have some form of gut dysfunction. Plus they would have either neurological signs or aches and pains and arthritis and stuff. And neurological signs included weird behavior and being erratic and unpredictable and weird and a little anxious and so on. So, but I remember when you came to me, you had like layers and layers of really evil gut infections and you've tried every possible way to wipe them out and nothing was going to work. And you were like this awful case, you know, but things have been shifting a lot. It just is not quick to undo a lifetime of deficiency caused by this and a lifetime of toxicity, the dysbiosis, the chronic stress on the system, the chronic immune activation that is going on. These are all major, major issues that can be direct result of eating high oxalate foods. And just because you stopped them six months ago, doesn't mean your body can suddenly throw it all back together in six months because you've actually polluted your whole system and changed the way it works and created kind of certain kinds of damage that's hard to recover. I mean, how much of a spinal cord recovery can we get after all? I mean, you can yeah. think of that a more dramatic example, but it can be more subtle than that too, where there's certain kinds of damage. Well, you'll get some improvements, but you may not come back all the way. You don't want to wait until you sever your spinal column before you pay attention. You really, it's better to not do that. So yeah. that's another thing. Like people think, well, it doesn't bother me. So I shouldn't worry about it, you know, cause it's not bothering me yet. But if you keep ignoring it, eventually it will bother you. You just won't necessarily notice that you get dementia early on or get arthritis early on or start getting brain fog or fatigue or these other problems you were mentioning. Yeah. And in my case, you know, I found out in my late thirties that I had osteoporosis, which for a healthy man would never, ever happen. So in my, I was mountain biking and I wasn't going that fast. I came straight down on my head, but I had a helmet, but my vertebras C3 through C7 just shattered. And the whole vertebral bodies of both C4 and C5 were in little pieces. So they made a little metal cages and glued all those pieces together to rebuild the vertebral bodies. And I'm convinced if I was a healthy man at 48, I would have maybe sprained things bad, but I would not, I would not be quadriplegic. So well, it's, if I had made that spill, I probably would happen to me too, because I have pits and holes all up and down yeah. my cerebral bodies are loaded with pits and holes from this oxalate thing. And other, I have other spinal damage. I have stenosis and bone spurs and slipped and bulging discs and inflammation, facet joint inflammation, and these pits and holes in the vitriol body. So I have severe spinal deformities and degeneration from oxalates. And I, luckily I didn't go on the same bike ride and hit the same. Yeah. You hit. <laughs> Thank God for that. And it's like, this, this is like one moment's difference between you and me, in my view, like yeah. we both could have been it, all of us we think we're invincible. We think, I thought, you know, I exercised all the time and I ate right. The last thing I expected to have was osteopenia, but I did. And it went back to normal after four years on the low oxide diet. I don't have osteopenia now, but I still have the remnants of spinal decay and spinal arthritis and disc issues and so on. None of which are fun to have. Yeah. Yeah. 
so Sally, um, I'm aware of the time. Um, we've already gone longer than I was expecting, but that's easy, especially talking to you. Um, I talk a lot. How, how should we, uh, how, how would it, it be good to wrap up today? Well, I'm really um, so excited that the world is learning about your story and that you're sharing your story of your health troubles and how it landed in probably the worst possible way it could have. And that you are actually regaining function nine years out from a spinal cord injury. That is a shout rooftops kind of mountaintop message that I really would like other people who are deeply injured to hear. You are a light, light. You're a beam of hope for other people, and you're climbing out of you know very dark experience. And I and I'm just so, uh, I'm just so excited that darkness can become light for others. And I think we're all doing that together. You know, yeah. that was one of my motivations. Well, my life may not have been worth much since I struggled and suffered so much of it, but at least maybe I can lend a helping hand to someone else. So I think it doesn't matter if people don't get it in a way, unless it really matters to them. <laughs> like If they yeah. realize their health really matters, then please join us. If you don't care about your health, you're not going to listen anyway. But if you're truly committed to your health, Try to let go of everything you think you know, because we're getting kind of really bad information. We're being lied to in a way. And as you said to me off camera, you said, you know, I feel betrayed. We are yeah. being betrayed by a lot of misinformation. And this is your chance to actually be in the know. So we're, we're, you and I are inviting people to please learn about this. Please learn about it. But if you don't, it's okay, because someone will learn from us and that's good enough. Yeah, and I would even say if you're not quite sure, but you have some, you'd like to see improvements in your health or you have some things that you're stuck on, um, give it a try. You don't have a real biohacker yeah. if you haven't done this, if you haven't seriously learned about this and learned how to do it and stuck with a low oxalate eating for a while, you call yourself a biohacker all you want, but you haven't really hacked the real, the real deal is right here and not poisoning yourself. <laughs> yeah. And it is poison. It is poison. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's, let's fully wrap here. So Sally, why don't you share with the viewers um, where they can find you? I have a website. It's sallyknorton.com, sallyknorton.com. And you can find me there. I am on Instagram as much as I can be, which hasn't been much lately. I have so many hundreds of posts I'd like to put out there, but I take my time to, to do that. I'm starting to put more of it on my blog. So there's blog information, lots of free information on my website. And please check out the book, Toxic Superfoods. If you're remotely interested in this, get yourself a copy because that's where you're going to get all the details with the index and the references and be able to study it and fight with me and fight with, you know, I try to make that book as simple as possible. Not every possible factoid is in there by a long shot. We had to make it, you know, readable and short. So we go flying through a lot of information. Some of it feels like reminding you of a few things. When I read it, I'm like, well, I already said that, but yeah, but we said that enough. So anyway, I'm rambling about the book because I'm really hoping that um, we can create a broader conversation because the book is there to help us share this with each other because as you you know the whole premise of this conversation is it's hard for people to 
get their heads around it. So this is a chance to try to do that for yourself and maybe help somebody else too. And I will say too, you can find Sally on Instagram at SK Norton. And then, and then remind me, is it toxic superfoods something? Yes. Book. Toxic superfoods oxalate book. Oxalate book. Yeah. So it's toxic superfoods underscore oxalate underscore book. And I created that second account because my first account got hacked and stolen. And I fought hard with my husband's incredible support to get it back. But that's another reason why I'm not spending all my precious time putting out because I don't own Instagram. I don't have a way to get it back when somebody speaks another language, steals my account. So I'm trying to spend time on, on things that will maybe outlive that. But anyway, I really like meeting you guys on Instagram. I'm a little overwhelmed sometimes by lots of DMs. So if you want to reach out to me directly, don't do it through a DM on Instagram, reach me through my website. There's a contact form there. You can uh, email questions and interests and so on through that. And you also do support group classes, which they can find out about through your website as well, right? Yeah, look at the support tab and find the um, meetings. They're very inexpensive. You get lots of handouts and details on how to help yourself. If you think you're sick and you want to really do this well, get into one of those classes early in the game and learn how to do supplements and mineral baths and how this really works and meet other people doing this because there's a lot more people out there than Michael and I who are learning and benefiting from avoiding spinach and sweet potatoes. It's amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sally. This has been a delight. And I look forward to uh, continuing with some more videos on on specific aspects of this topic. I do too. I truly love you and love the work that you're doing. And thank you for uh, working together with me. This is great fun. Yeah. Big hugs and big love to you, Sally. Thank you.